a lot of us, when we talk about Bitcoin, we'd say, look, it's it's schmuck insurance or it's it's a, a digital gold analog or replacement. But because it, it can also be used as money, yes, it's very val- uh, volatile, but it also has upward volatility, not just like a persistent kind of depreciation of value over time like you do in some of these other currencies you're going to hold your assets in. Hello there. How are you all doing? Welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by Gemini, the only place I am using for buying Bitcoin. I'm your host, Peter McCormack. And before we get into the interview today, I have a quick message from my show sponsors. And this show is brought to you by Casa, the safest way to store your Bitcoin. Now, forgotten passwords, SIM swaps, phishing attacks. There are just too many ways to have your Bitcoin lost or stolen. But with Casa, you never have to worry about your Bitcoin again. Because with a Casa multi-sig wallet, you get to take custody of your Bitcoin, but you only move Bitcoin by signing transactions from multiple wallets, ones which you get to distribute into different locations. And this is going to protect you from a range of mistakes, errors, and vulnerabilities. Now, if you want to find out more about this, I have been a customer for over a year. You can hit me up in my DMs or drop me an email. Happy to answer your questions. There is no better time to upgrade your Bitcoin security and get total peace of mind. You can find out more at keys.casa, which is K-E-Y-S dot C-A-S-A. Next up, we have my new sponsor to the show, which is BCB Group, who provide online business banking for companies in the Bitcoin industry. And yes, I am now a customer of BCB2. They heard about my difficulty with finding a bank, a reliable one that understands Bitcoin, and they reached out to me. So I've moved all my business banking across to BCB, and you know what? I could not be happier. It is so nice to finally be dealing with a bank which understands my business and understands Bitcoin and isn't putting hurdles in my way. BCB's clients include major exchanges, market makers, funds, and miners active in the UK and Europe, but they are now expanding globally. And they also have this amazing fiat network called Blink, which facilitates instant free payments between BCB clients for all supported currencies. Now listen, I know some of you have had some trouble with this. If you are looking for a banking provider who understands and supports Bitcoin companies rather than creating hurdles, then like me, you want to become a BCB customer. If you want to find out, then please head over to bcbgroup.com forward slash Peter, which is bcbgroup.com forward slash Peter. Next up, we've got Ledger the world's most popular hardware wallet. Now, a hardware wallet allows you as a Bitcoiner to take custody of your Bitcoin. And I have been a Ledger customer since early 2017. It's over four years now, and I'm still using that same Nano S I bought back then. Ledger makes it easy for you to safely manage your Bitcoin using their Ledger Live software, which interfaces with your device. And you can even connect your Nano S to your Android phone to manage your Bitcoin on the go. If you want to find out more, please head over to ledger.com, which is L-E-D-G-E-R.com. Next up is BlockFi. Now you can get up to $250 in Bitcoin when you join BlockFi. They've launched their BlockFi Rewards Visa Signature Card. And for people in the US who own or are interested in owning Bitcoin or stacking more sats, then the BlockFi Rewards Credit Card provides the easiest way for you to earn more Bitcoin because you get 1.5% back in Bitcoin on every purchase with no annual fee. It is the smartest way to stack sats with Bitcoin rewards and every purchase. But if you're interested in finding out more and you do want to take out that bonus, you want to get the $250 in Bitcoin, then please head over to BlockFi.com forward slash Peter, which is B-L-O-C-K-F-I.com forward slash Peter. Ryan, how you doing? I'm doing great, man. 
Finally. Fucking hell. I can't believe it's like Finally. 400 and something shows and you're on. Well, I'm a shitcoiner, so I know. You had everybody bit. else to get through that's less that's open-minded actually, than me. That's actually not fair. You are a Bitcoiner. <laughs> I know you're a Bitcoiner at heart. You just have a business that does a lot of uh, yeah, shitcoiner. Yeah, yeah, we can talk about that. Well, we can't talk about that. We've um, A lot we can talk about, actually, because you sent me your report. Mm-hmm. Fucking hell, man. How long does that take you? So it takes about, I was, you know, about a month to, you know, 10%, 5 to 10% of my annual bandwidth about. And, and so it's kind of like a running joke with the team that I secretly hope it flops every year. That way I don't have to write it the next year. But, you know, there's a lot of reasons to do it, right? It, it you know, it's a synopsis of all the research that our team has come up with through the year. It's a good marketing asset for us. We do a lot of co-promotion. We got a big new product launch coming out, you know, this coming week. So um, there's a lot of things that go into it. You know, obviously it's good for newsletter growth and everything. So it's worth it, but barely because it kind of puts me to the end of my wits by the end. A lot uh, of, it's how many words? It's a lot. So, uh, well, I don't know how many words. 165 pages. I didn't do the word count, but it's it's. I think it's 165 pages. Probably about 100,000 words, right? It's a, it's that's a, about it's about that. It's a short book. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. Well, listen. So, I obviously want to talk to you about the Bitcoin stuff. Of course. It's I mean, couple, we we had a full section on it. So it's a good yeah. section on it. Good, uh, and we good. can go through all of the ten points on there. Amazing. I might even remember a few of them. I might want to talk to you a little bit about Web three. Let's do it because I think it's annoying. I, I think it is web VC. That's that's why people come. Yeah, I think it's annoying. They come for the juice, not for the us high fiving <laughs> each other. See, you got to have more people like me on. All right, all right, we can do that, and we can possibly also talk about regulation because that is is an important thing. I've just got back from DC. Hundred percent. Made a couple of shows there. Mm-hmm. You know, right in the DC crowd, where regulation is a hot topic. But let's talk about Bitcoin. You do dedicate a whole ten sections to Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Your ten hot takes. Um, but I think a good starting point is your first hot take. We, look, we got him here. He's always watching. I, I saw. You saw him. I saw. I wasn't sure if you also packed the the picture of me, but I figured that's by your bedside, still at home. Yeah, so, yeah. The, but but Peter's right here in the corner for those that are just listening, watching, waiting. You got a one-off cameo extra. appearance. <laughs> you got the one-off cameo, but he's uh, he's become a permanent fiction now. He travels with us. Yeah, that's good. Keep an eye on him. So listen, let's talk about Bitcoin mm-hmm. and gold. Bitcoin taking, well, taking on gold, like uh, I interviewed Sailor the other day. I, I disagree with him. He said gold is the enemy of Bitcoin, and I disagree with that move, I think. Mm-hmm. And the reason I disagree with it is I don't think we need to make enemies of gold bugs because b- gold bugs are, gold bugs who don't own Bitcoin are the next Bitcoiners, really, should be. Like, we agree on the problem. You know, I, I would compare it to something slightly different, right? So my, my freshman year in college was 04, 05, right? And that freshman year, maybe 5%, I don't even think 5% of the laptops were Macs versus Dells, mm-hmm. right? And then by senior year, you're, you're starting to see the progression. So all the young people were like first to use Macs and they were first to use all the Apple products and, and kind of consolidated around the iOS ecosystem. It was just a better design. It was, you know, it was, Young, it was hip. It was it was just a better product, right? Um, and I don't think that Macs have overtaken the rest of the PC market still. Mm-hmm. But as you see younger generations coming up, they're going to have a different set of tech preferences, and they're going to have a different set of money preferences. So I don't think you have to be the enemy of gold because they're just going to age out, and it's going to be a very gradual rotation. And in the meantime, you know, gold will be a collectible for jewelry. But in terms of the money use case. 
I think that's just going to be a kind of a natural, you know, multi-decade switch uh, that we see in, in you know, the, the next 15, 20 years. There's more than jewelry, though, industrial doorstops. I mean, there there are. Well, I mean, I know you're kidding, but there there are some industrial use cases. It's mostly jewelry. So I actually break down in the report. I mean, if you're talking about like the true comp, it's not 11 trillion dollars. It's more like six trillion. So six trillion would be investment purposes and central bank reserves would be the gold market cap, which you know leaves us about five x to get to parity with the gold investments um, comp. Now, if you're going to lump in jewelry and all that, that's where you get to the 11 trillion where there's, oh, you can get to another, you know, you can get to a half million dollar Bitcoin, but I don't think that's the right comp. I think it's more like, you know, 250 to 300,000 gets you to parity with gold as an investment at today's prices. It's the flippening that matters. We're going to talk about the other one as well, but it's, it's there's, yeah, all kinds of flippings. Yeah. You, you think, you think, uh, how long do you think we've got till we flip gold? Five years? Um, I don't know. So much of it depends on on how these cycles actually play out, right? If yeah. you if you keep seeing the four year boom bust cycles, um, the extreme corrections, you know, we could see it this cycle, and then, and then have, have, have a pretty big come down, right, all the way back to a hundred thousand. But um, I mean, I don't think we want that for a whole slew of reasons. Not the least of which is you go up to two hundred fifty thousand dollar Bitcoin, and then da- down to a hundred thousand. You're talking about like actually triggering a real world global recession or minor depression because that would be so much money um, to have evaporate from the from the financial system and the markets. Um, well, so, so you believe Bitcoin? I think Bit- well, if Bitcoin is a contagion effect. Well, if Bitcoin cor- remember we're at about a trillion dollars right now. So if Bitcoin corrected from 250,000 to 100,000, that'd be a $3 trillion um, decline in, in asset values for a relatively small niche of, of investors because I don't think it would take a whole lot for, for that you know, market um, to move that market to, to 250. I don't think you need like all of Wall Street and, and you know, a dozen countries and, um, and all the, the big corporates putting it on their balance sheet. I think it, uh, it, you know, it, it, it could be a boom and bust. I personally don't think that's going to happen. Um, do you think the cycle might be breaking? I think it is, and I hope so, um, because it means that you know the bear markets will be shallower, and and you're not in this like feast or famine cycle. It will look a little bit more like tech has the last decade, or the last 15 years. You know, since you know we came out of the trough of the the dot com you know burst, where you see things get funded, you see kind of slow and steady upward trajectory, and you see you know good projects and good teams, you know, uh, deliver according to the performance of their product and like specific KPIs, not just, okay, we're in a bull cycle, so throw as much money on black as you can. We're in a bear cycle, take it all out, go home, come back in a couple of years. I don't think, I, I, I my, you know, who knows? Um, and, you know, the, the, the market's out of anybody's hands, but I'm hoping, I kind of expect that maybe there's a cap on, on how crazy we can get this time around. Maybe because of the other assets that could, uh, could steal a little bit of the, the Bitcoin thunder. We'll come to that. I mean, it's been a wild year, Ryan. I mean, I, I talked to, I, I did a couple of shows at the end of last year talking about expectations for, you know, this year. Um, I never saw a scenario where a Tesla would buy $1.5 billion of Bitcoin this year. And I never mm-hmm. saw a scenario where a country would make Bitcoin legal tender. There's been some pretty- You should have read my report last year. Is that what you said? Did you put it in last year? <laughs> well, I didn't say Tesla and El Salvador, but uh, I think that was one of the, the macro trends. I think in general, it seems like it's inevitable, right? Like, of course, um, yeah. like there was game theory involved where, you know, Bukele's looking around, you know, if I'm first, then there's uncapped upside. Yep. If I'm wrong, well, 
there's a lot to fix in this country anyway. So that's going to be, you know, maybe the least of my problems, least of my worries. So I think it's a good asymmetric bet that you'll see a lot of other emerging market leaders probably make, especially the younger ones in the next few years. Did, did you think we'd have another country by now? Or do you think people are waiting to well, see? Well, I mean, I, I, didn't think, I didn't think it would be a big country. I think the smaller countries are probably looking to see how things play out with the IMF and, and you know, what all the externalities are that, that could potentially impact El Salvador. Because I, I do, I think there's like a little bit of a Venezuela effect too, right? Like mm-hmm. you know, Venezuela has all the, you know, oil. Um, you know, the, I think they've got the largest reserves even uh, ahead of Saudi Arabia. Um, and that hasn't fixed what's a, a colossal you know, nightmare in Venezuela right now politically. So uh, now I'm not saying that's, that's you know, money related, but I think there are some similarities where um, if the IMF and some of the other financial leaders of the world uh, decide to crack down or, or kind of limit commerce with El Salvador or, or, or otherwise just make life difficult because they don't want Bitcoin fully integrated in the financial system. Um, then obviously there's there's bigger issues that El Salvador has to solve for. I don't know. That's that's one bit of conjecture, but I would be surprised if we don't see other small countries come into the fold. Um, it really is going to depend on what the next you know three to six months look like, and if we can you know establish some medium term lower bound, um, so you don't see like another sell off to you know twenty five thousand. Yeah. That's a risk that no one's going to take. But I think if we trade sideways for a while, you'll absolutely see other central banks and other companies start to think about this as a balance sheet asset. How important do you also think the the volcano bond is? And how much have you looked into that? Because, you know, honestly, I, I, I haven't really okay. looked into it. Yeah, I mean, it, it, educate me. I, I've, I've read about uh, this being one of their plans along with like their Bitcoin city and, and the, the weird diagrams of the, <laughs> the you know, dystopian looking like Citadel. But um, the volcano bond in particular, I'm not as familiar with the mechanics. Well, the Bitcoin city, I'm less excited about because one, you know, what is it? You know, and how much infrastructure has to be built in the city? And, you know, how much time does it take to build the properties in the city? I mm-hmm. mean, it sounds like something you can work towards, but might be like a decade. Yeah, I mean, yeah, multi-decade project to be something that looks like one of the you know, artist impressions that you get of this. Um, but the bond itself is kind of interesting. I mean, I don't know too much about it. I'm not a I'm not a Bond guy. I'm not Greg Foss, but my understanding is they're looking to raise a billion, of which half will go straight into Bitcoin, half will be used to build out their mining infrastructure. It's mm-hmm. a six point five percent coupon, which is half half of the uh, traditional El Salvador uh, uh, bonds. So they really have to return sixty five million a year on that. And I think there's a five year lockup on the Bitcoin they hold. Mm-hmm. And then at some point they start scaling out that Bitcoin, and also the earnings from that go to the bondholders. So it could be it could could pay well well in excess of the six point five percent coupon. But the interesting part of it, it looks like it's built into the game theory of Bitcoin. It's like if we have this, well, over a five year period, if Bitcoin does what it does, then the bond will pay. It, it, and they're talking about doing ten of them. But I think if it works, if they can raise the money really quickly, I think that's an incentive for other countries to go, huh. They just raised a billion dollars outside of the IMF in a very I, short I, amount of time. I always love bets like this because they prove nothing in either direction other than Bitcoin is volatile, right? Yeah, I mean, it's it's you're betting with other people. If you gave me $100 to borrow mm-hmm. and I knew that I could default without you taking out my kneecaps, you know, I would probably invest in something that could pay off 10x if I could only lose, you know, $50. You're probably, you're probably not going to lose $100, right? Yeah. So it's, you know, you're, you're basically taking nation state capital to uh, make the same, 
you know, speculating with other people's money. But that's that's what countries are designed to do, right? So mm-hmm. if you're thinking about, um, you know, shooting your shot as, a, as you know, an up-and-coming uh, country that's trying to, again, reform a lot of things aside from just the, the financial status, um, then making a bet on emerging tech, I think, is is a pretty smart play. Now, uh, I know, I know. again, we're, we're going to get a, a little bit further into this, but I wonder if Bitcoin is too limiting for a country like El Salvador um, and how that's ultimately going to play into their competitive positioning in terms of attracting talent. Um, maybe the Bitcoin-centric community, I don't, can I say maximalist? Yeah, it's not pejorative can to it, me. Okay, all right. I want to, well, I don't know. Some people get touched. We're both Bitcoin holders here. So I'll say yeah. like the, the maximalist crowd, right? That's not a slur um, when I use it. The, um, the the maximalist crowd, I wonder if it's a little bit too limiting um, from the the part of like a world leader, you know, someone like uh, like Bukele, or um, if that kind of dedicated like maximalist contingent is enough where they're going to say, you know what, I don't care about Portugal and Singapore and Estonia and all these other like shitcoin countries. I want to go to someplace like, you know, El Salvador, support them, you know, either at arm's length or, or physically or somewhere in between um, because they're kind of going all in on, on this asset. And I think you're starting to see that play out with companies too, right? Like MicroStrategy, I'm not sure that Sailor is going to put Ethereum on the balance sheet. I don't think he is. I don't think he can, right? Like, not only do I not think he is going to, but I don't think he really can. I think, you know, he's kind of boxed himself in. Jack? Well, it would dilute his play. That's what I mean. Yeah. yeah. So, number one, you dilute the play. And, you know, I think you're seeing, you you saw this play out um, potentially with Twitter and Square as well. Mm-hmm. I'm, you know. Reading between the lines? Well, I, I think that's probably pushing it. I think that um, what Jack can do with Bitcoin at a financial company like Square is in order of magnitude more interesting than anything you could do with Bitcoin on Twitter. And if he cares about Bitcoin, leave Twitter aside, go all in on Bitcoin and Square and the financial elements. If he cared about Twitter and some of the, the uh, crypto use cases, then you have to broaden out beyond Bitcoin, right? So I, I guess the more like blockchain oriented you want to be, if you're a Bitcoin maximalist like you know Jack is, or, or at least someone that's like heavily in that direction, then you want to do it, you know, through the, the financial company that can actually focus on Bitcoin versus you know NFTs on Twitter are going to be run through Ethereum, right? A bunch of different applications on Twitter that are crypto-centric are going to be Ethereum and non-Bitcoin blockchains. So I think um, uh, maybe that's the, the the tail wagging the dog. But I think, um, you know, it's definitely a better thing, I think, for for both parties that, that you know, Jack has picked one. My point is he— He picked. Did he have to? Maybe, well, maybe he, may have, he may have had to. I'm not sure. But I think you've got that with Sailor. You've got that with Bikili. You've got this, you know, kind of playing out with— with leaders, corporate and sovereign, and, and everywhere in between, in between. Yeah, and this happens with influencers too. You know this. Well, I went the other way. I, I don't like the term influencer. <laughs> I find that pejorative. <laughs> I'm a professional journalist. <laughs> yeah, influencer. No, it is. And look, it's it's tricky. I mean, it depends on who you are. Well, you are a journalist. I was talking about me. Come on. <laughs> You're a journalist. You're a journalist before I was a journalist. The lines are blurring. They are. They are. Yeah. I mean. People people call you a journalist when they want you to do a better job, and then they say you're not a journalist when you think you've done a good job. You can never fucking win. Or yeah. they call you, or they call you a bad journalist because you own the things that you're talking about. That's my favorite, and that's why you get all this garbage coming out from the New York Times and all these other, you know, cut rate publications. You can't use the stuff, and you're going to write about it, which is why the quality of the writing is so bad. Maybe journalism's just dead. 
just ent- it was all entertainment. Well, I think um, I think everything's getting decentralized. Mm. I can never quite tell when you're being tongue in cheek, but I do think journalism is dead. No, I mean I kind of think it is in the traditional sense. Is in that um, there are journalists out mm-hmm. there doing great work, but for me, a journalist is out there to tell the truth, to investigate a story and tell the so truth. So yeah, so this is a really uh, I think important insight because I think that there are great journalists, mm-hmm. and what we're seeing is the institutional brands of journalism are complete shit. Mm-hmm. Almost across the board. I mean, if you think about what the New York Times has done running out Barry Weiss and and some of the other you know, senior editorial staff that they have, if you don't kind of fit to a certain narrative, you're out. I mean, if we won't even get into both sides of like the 24-7 like cable news media. I mean, they're, they're, everybody knows uh, that it's toxic to get that type of information diet unless they're I don't think everyone does know. No, I'm saying unless they're actually like in it and they've picked a side and they're like, no, no, no. And their answer is always, this is healthy because this is what I watch every night. I think that people that don't watch news, right, um, will look at both sides and say, yeah, both of these are are not good. Both are full of shit, let's be honest. Yeah, and 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 I think there's a reason that Substack is spiking. That you're seeing, you know, more people get their news from Twitter and and from, you know, people complain about the algorithms, you know, on on Facebook or Twitter and and say that it's you know inflammatory. But at the end of the day, um, that's still better than than getting than in getting all of your information from one news channel, right? The, the same temptations exist for these people who've gone out on their own. So Substack exactly. is great. I I pay for Barry Weiss. I pay for um, Glenn um, Greenwald. Let's I, see. Let's see how much of an overlap we have. Yeah, uh, uh, Matthew Taibbi, um, yep. and then a few other smaller smaller yep. people I know. Same. I, uh, I, I can't remember. If I still got Lee Quinn's actually, but I did subscribe to hers. I've got maybe like five to ten on mm-hmm. Substack, and they're great. The problem is, is that Twitter still rewards audience capture. It punishes if you if you have any kind of uh, if you're on any kind of like end of a political spectrum, mm-hmm. it rewards audience capture. You see this with Tim Paul. I think Tim Paul sometimes is brilliant, smart. And other times, I see he's very inflammatory because the audience capture uh, algorithm rewards him. Yeah. So you really, you know, when people talk about, oh well, the mainstream media is dead, but we've got these great new, you know, freelance independent media operations. They've got their own podcasts and stuff. Some of them are just as guilty as the mainstream for audience capture because they get rewarded because they get likes when they speak to their audience. Mm-hmm. And so they have to speak to their audience and their revenue model is based on that. So finding someone who's truly independent that you can trust is hard. I do trust Barry Weiss. I do trust yep. Matthew Taibbi. I don't always agree with Glenn Greenwald, but I do trust him. Exactly. So it's... It's, there's very few journalists I do trust. And I think it's, when I say journalism's dead, I mean, let's better say it's dying because there are some people out there. But previously when you would trust, maybe you shouldn't have trusted a newspaper. You'd come pick up the newspaper you trust and expect some good investigative journalism. I used to believe it was there. I just don't believe it is anymore. I take the first day in prison approach to journalism, which is I try to find like the biggest enemy that I can find at any point in time punch them as hard as I possibly can, and then I go relatively easy on everybody else, right? <laughs> so you can kind of maintain this diplomacy, still call it both ways, right? You know, I mean, this happened, think about how I got into the industry, right? Mount Gox and yep. the Bitcoin Foundation, and then, you know, Ripple and my crusade against Ripple, mm-hmm. three years ahead of the SEC, by the way. And of course, now it's the current SEC chair, um, so. <laughs> Ripple, 
people, are they actually doing anything with Ripple? It exists for like any purpose. Is Ripple the company doing anything with Ripple or? Well, I, I mean, I conflate if Ripple and XRP is the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even well, I, yeah, I mean, no, so, so do I, but I just, for for yeah. clarity and conversation, clarity. yeah, it's, uh, uh, I mean, it's. I think it's tough for them to now. Here, here's the thing, um, you know, the first critical piece, I mean, I, I got much more critical once I started to dig into it, you know, in, in 2018 and, and figure out how they were, doing their treasury sales versus their marketing for XRP. Mm -hmm. That's when it started to, like, I started to get a little bit crazy. Um, but my first post on uh, on Ripple and its use of XRP was actually pretty, like, steel man of, like, here's what they're saying. Here are the things you need to believe to get excited about, like, XRP at 350. Remember, like, I wrote this yeah, yeah. literally the day the market's up. And, uh, and basically, the punchline was, you're out of your mind. But the way that they were treating XRP the currency as like a bridge currency was interesting. You just knew that no institution was ever going to go for it unless they were getting bribed. And like, this is exactly what happened with MoneyGram, mm -hmm. right? If, if you actually looked at the documents and, and like all the court proceedings and all the stuff that's come out since, MoneyGram was essentially like, yeah, I mean, if you want to invest and, and pay us an enormous amount of money that we're going to be able to liquidate, and we cleared this with our lawyers and like, and this is, if, if this is if this is all good and we literally don't have to say a nice thing or actually use it or hold it or anything like that, we'll take it. And so, you know, it was, it was, yeah, it, it's- A lot um, of stinky bullshit in there, Ryan. No, it is. But so here, here's the thing. Um, we have outdated securities law in the US. Yep. 90 years old, 80 years old. I mean, the, the core precedent that we're talking about is 75 years old about fucking orange groves in, in Florida, right? Mm -hmm. um, so we should probably update it for the fact that not only the internet exists, not only PCs exist, but like modern cryptography exists, like post nineteen forty six in the Howie Howie case. Um, the the reason I have talked about it, and and in many ways this was kind of like what led to the founding of Masari, like my first post introducing Masari like months before the company even officially existed was like we need an open source editor because the SEC is not up to the task structurally, not because they're not competent. I mean, we could talk about the institutional competence or whatever, but structurally speaking, this is new tech. You need like a, a, a new framework. And the irony is everything that I wrote about has since come through in multiple fashions, right? Like one, we're doing pretty well. Two, like nothing has actually gotten solved in terms of like community disclosures for tokens and all the worst things that, you know, Bitcoin maximalists like hate and I hate like as someone that kind of leans that direction. Um, it still persists and it's never really been corrected. And one of the reasons is we haven't had anything like a safe harbor that would have allowed for some cooling off and the ability to actually like pick and choose, not necessarily which are good projects and which aren't, but which are just fucking scams, right? So like what behavior is, is actually going to be permitted? Because I, I think what Ripple is going to argue in court is we didn't get any guidance from the SEC. That's true. They gave us mixed messages. Also true. They said that ETH was probably sufficiently decentralized. That's true, although the SEC is now trying to backtrack. So, like, there, there's a bunch of things that I think are on their side, not to mention the former SEC chair, Mary Jo White, who's on their legal team now. But if you had had something like a safe harbor that kind of modified the disclosures, the shit that they did with the selective disclosures and, like, basically allowing all their insiders to dump on retail throughout and market however they wanted to— you know, if you had a safe harbor, they wouldn't be on the hook for securities law violations. They'd be on the hook for fraud right now. Wow. I'm saying like- Okay. 
Yeah. If, if you had written the safe harbors in a certain way that are like common sense and they're based on like insider holdings and like how they're reporting them, then like all these like insider deals, I, I think would have been closer to fraud than like a securities law violation. But I don't think that they're actually guilty of fraud right now just because, you know, we don't do anything halfway intelligent when it comes to <laughs> regulating tech or, or, or tech-related finance. Yeah, I'm not really sure where I where I want that one to go because it's, uh, I mean, I, I've always thought XRP is bullshit. I've always felt Ripple have lied to people when they've dumped billions of tokens mm-hmm. um, and enriched themselves. But I'm not really sure I want them to lose a case to the SEC. The enemy of my enemy is yeah, my friend. It's a, it's a, I mean, I just, <clears throat> I think Ripple dies anyway, but... I will be interested to see how these things play out because there are certain things that just seem a little... Like at the moment, one of the things that... I mentioned Web3, why it's bothering me is that uh, I'm uh, background uh, before doing all this. I had a web business. We used to build websites. I went through the transition from Web1 to Web2 and it was about how do we make the internet better for people. Mm-hmm. We had a more interactive web. Um, you know, the, the tools that came available with uh, CSS, I'm trying to remember now... Uh, just to make made the experience a lot better on the internet, as you typed into Google, you get the suggested results. Lots of little more interactive elements. And I don't remember when Web3 was first being discussed or the next phase of the web that people talked about tokens. They talked about the decentralized nature of the web or owning your data and you know, privacy being an important part of the web. You know, decentralization is important, but I'm really... Not concerned, concerned, concerned trolling, but just the way Chris Dixon is really pushing hard this Web3 narrative of a world of tokens, which really suits the investment thesis of A16Z. And I just wonder how much we're going to pollute the potential of the web mm-hmm. with a flood of just bullshit. And it, it does worry me. I, I think yeah. Web3 has been co-opted. I think Grubel's got it best when he said it's not it's Web VC. And I think if you were trying to design or think about a Web3, what, what we need, for me, it's not a world of tokens. Decentralization, yes, is important. Mm-hmm. Data ownership is important. Privacy is important. You know, a native digital currency like Bitcoin is important. Uh, a, a basket of shit coins and, you know, just isn't the world I see for, for the future of the web. I don't think it makes it a better experience myself. There's so much to unpack there, I know. right? Like it, it, it's such a it's such a, a, a sweeping statement, and I'm sure there are parts that I agree with you on, and and there's probably some parts that I disagree with you on. So, you know, first of all, let's just say the like the name Web three. Mm-hmm. I actually think Web three is much better than crypto in terms of new audiences and being a little bit more friendly and uh, to to regulators and not scaring the shit out of people and like new audience development. And I think it's maybe a little bit of a better catch all term because it can. You know, now you can include digital art and all these like NFTs and, you know, the metaverse goods and and anything that will basically like settle with a blockchain or stable coins, right? Like things that people don't intrinsically think of as as like crypto because that sounds a little wild west, right? Um, So I actually think it's a really good um, meme and and I think it's important for adoption and and maybe just a a slight rebranding from crypto given how hostile I think we're going to see things get in the regulatory sphere, particularly in the U.S. in the next year. Maybe in in Europe to a certain extent, but I think Europe's a little bit more balkanized and you're seeing groups like, you know, in Portugal and Germany and France, they've they've all got slightly different tax and, and, you know, arguably a little bit more friendly. So I think um, Web3 is definitely an upgrade from a branding standpoint. 
point two, something can be self-serving and also be true at the same time, right? Uh, and, and so you really have to like unpack the, the threads there. Is this self-serving? Is this in you know, A16Z's best interest? You know, yes, yes. Is this also in the best interest for the U.S. tech environment? I would also argue like the answer is yes. So I, I don't I don't think that the interests are necessarily misaligned. I think, you've in, missed, I think you've missed the audience that I'm thinking about though. I'm thinking end user. No, because I think that with these Web3 protocols, they should have opportunities for their end users to actually meaningfully participate in the upside if they're early and they're active. So again, we're conflating a couple of, of themes here. If you're talking about a VC chain that goes public at a, you know, $20 billion valuation. Yeah, not as interesting, but I think that's going to get worked out in the market because I think users are starting to get conditioned to like token upside in return for participating in some way, shape, or form of these networks. And the way to think about it is like cooperatives, right? Um, so uh, cooperatives are mutuals, right? So REI or like a mutual insurance company, they're ultimately going to pay out to their members. If those businesses waited until they got to $20 billion and all of the wealth and all of the user rewards were privatized amongst private investors like venture capitalists, yeah, it's bullshit. No one's going to actually care about that brand as an end user. But then you're going to have competitors that, that take that more seriously or get the balance right. And I think um, that's something that we're going to see get figured out in some of these early experiments. And frankly, you'd rather they get figured out now when the stakes are relatively low versus, you know, five, 10 years from now. I, I think that the, the VCs um, and, and kind of the rounds are getting underwritten right now. Yeah, you've got a lot of the same kind of like usual suspects and usual names. But I also think uh, a lot of like individuals like super angels are starting to gobble up like good chunks of these rounds um, because they're just viewed as better connectors and more strategic for like connecting protocol to protocol and like how these communities actually like ebb and flow and, and, and trade off of each other and integrate with each other. Um, there's not an endorsement for any of those tokens right now because, you know, I don't know what fundamental value is for, for most of these mm -hmm. projects. Um, but uh, it is to say, I, I think it's likely that some of the big winners early will be the VCs because they are early to the trend, right? Over time, I think that more of these protocols will, will democratize and you're going to need to share the incentives. It's the same way that we're talking about why is, why is Web3 a threat to Facebook and, and some of the other big tech companies? It's because you've basically now with tokens conditioned a group of users that they should have upside. They should have financial upside for being earlier valuable members of this network. Facebook gives you nothing right? So when the starting point is nothing and, and I could get something and I could get even more, potentially a lot more if I'm early to this like budding Facebook or budding Twitter or whatever, now it's, uh, it's, it's a different value proposition. And which one do you think the users are going to go to? Do you think they're going to go to the one that has all the VCs or do you think they're going to, in terms of an actual user, not just a speculator in this crazy environment we're in right now where everything goes, you know, swings wildly. The actual users of those products are going to go for the peer-to-peer alternative versus the one that's owned by the VCs. I think this is going to work, get worked out naturally. I think they're going to go to the user experience that delivers what they need, what they want. My point is, I think token economics, like rewards to some of these early users, that is part of the user experience, right? That is part of the product, right? Um, now, other things equal, you're going to use 
a product that gives you more money. Other things equal, you're going to use the better product, period, right? Mm -hmm. So it doesn't matter, like, you know, if you're going to pay me, like, $50 a year to, to use, you know, uh, Friendster, I'm, I'm still going to use Twitter. Friendster. Right, like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I remember Friendster. Yeah, right? Like, you know, so. Uh, it was so close. So all of these, yeah, exactly. All of these comps, it's like other things equal. Before we carry on with the interview, I do have a quick message from my show sponsors. This show is brought to you by Compass Mining, and Compass aren't just a sponsor. I'm a customer of theirs, and I am mining Bitcoin with them. Do you know I've been mining for over three months with them now? I mined about 0.4 Bitcoin, which is pretty cool. I'm going to try and do updates on this every month. But with the price of where Bitcoin is, I'm approaching having, I think, about a third of my mining equipment paid off. I love that I'm mining again because Compass has made it accessible to anyone as a Bitcoiner to get out there and start mining and contribute to the decentralized growth of the hash rate. It was so easy to get onboarded and anyone can do it. You just pick your machines, choose your hosting facility and Compass does everything else for you. Now, if you want to find out more, if you want to start mining, please head over to compassmining.io, which is C-O-M-P-A-S-S-M-I-N-I-N-G dot I-O. Next up today, we have Gemini who I am now using exclusively for buying and selling Bitcoin. And do you know what? We're coming up to a year and I've still not sold a single sat through Gemini. I am only buying Bitcoin. I am a hodler. That's all I'm doing. Now, I have been using the Gemini app for buying the dips, but I've also set up my DCA with twice monthly buys of Bitcoin. And I'm yet to see a better or easier interface for buying Bitcoin. With a streamlined training view, you have access to all the tools you need to understand Bitcoin and start investing all through one clear, attractive interface. And Gemini are running a special offer for listeners of what Bitcoin did. All you need to do is head over to Gemini.com forward slash WBD and new customers will get $20 in Bitcoin when they trade $100 or more on Gemini. Now, if you want to find out more, please do head over to Gemini.com forward slash WBD. That is G-E-M-I-N-I dot com forward slash WBD. Next up, we have my new sponsor to the show, which is Level, a company finally delivering on the promise of a Bitcoin bank. Yes, a bank on your phone where you can deposit, spend and hold Bitcoin. And you can also do this alongside a traditional dollar checking account. You can deposit your payroll into your account as a US user, and you can even spend your Bitcoin from your account via your MasterCard debit card. I have been testing it out. I've been playing with the app and it is everything I've ever wanted from personal banking and there's so many more updates coming. They've got some big updates coming in February, so keep an eye out for that. Now, if you do want to find out more, if you want to go and check it out, please head over to Level, which is LVL.co, or search for Level, which is LVL, in the Google or Apple app stores. Also, we have Sportsbet.io, the very best place for online gaming because they're badasses and they accept Bitcoin. Now, we are well into the football season, and you know what? Things are going all right. It's been a pretty good season so far for Liverpool. Tottenham struggling as ever. We always like it that way. Now, if you are interested in football, if you do want to make a bet, and if you want to use your Bitcoin, then sportsbet.io is the place to go. But they don't just cover football. They also cover tennis, motorsports, US sports. They even cover esports. And for new customers, they always have a range of promotions available. So if you want to find out more, please head over to sportsbet.io forward slash promotions, which is S-P-O-R-T-S-B-E-T dot io forward slash promotions but i think going back i don't think web 3 should equal crypto uh well i think that web 3 is a superset 
and then crypto is like some of the subsets. So you will have some elements of Web three that are 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 like true like punk crypto. But, how would you how would you define the two? How well, would you, I just I think I think so the we're not talking past each other. Well, I think the narrative is being flipped. Therefore, that Web three is crypto, and I don't think it is. I think Web three is the decentralization of the internet, and it's the ability to hold your own data and protect mm-hmm. your own data. It's privacy. You know, mm-hmm. it, it is cryptography, but it's not necessarily that every single thing will be built using a blockchain protocol, which somebody sees an upside for. Plus, I still think I actually think in this in the web this new web three model, I think the VCs are in a far better position than traditional investing rounds because they get in so early. And as, as I've said this a few times on the podcast now, you essentially get to IPO before you've had product market fit, which I mm-hmm. think is wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, these, you, you've raised money. You know what it's like. It's hard. You, you have to show what you're going, what problem you're going to solve. Then you step by step as you go through rounds of funding, you've got to show whether you've brought on users and whether users are sticking or if you've you know, hit a revenue uh, uh, a market that you want to reach. You have to kind of prove yourself to get mm-hmm. to the next round. And you don't get to IPO unless you really have had product market fit, but you know, by the time Solano is available in the market, by the way, I always say Solano to piss people off. Um, it's always funny going the juice tube come, you're an idiot, Solano. But um, by the time Solano um, uh, hits the market and becomes a multi-billion-dollar chain, it hasn't proven product market fit. It still has masses of technical hurdles to get through. Mm-hmm. So I actually think the VCs have a far better position in these investments. I mean. Multi-coins investments are, it's like unbelievable the returns they've had without product market fit. So I, I, I just I just don't like the Web3 equals crypto. I think it misses out a lot of other really mm-hmm. important things that people are not talking about. I think we would, uh, again, we're, we're probably uh, in agreement on like one vector and then, and then there are shades of gray on the other. Like, you know, so you bring up like MultiCoin and, and Solana. So full disclosure, like you know, Kyle and Tushar were personal like early investors and like the pre pre seed for for Masari. So, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but I call it both ways, right? Like I've mm-hmm. I've I've called out some of my investors uh, at at different times, and and uh, I have colorful uh, debates on Twitter even with with by Kyle way, to this day. But anyway, I'm not saying. So, in, oh, by the way, no, no, they're just playing the game that's in front of them. Well, yeah, but it's more than that, right? Because so there's two things. One. Um, anyone could have invested in Solana at like a $15 million valuation two years ago. They didn't, right? Um, two, there are some elements of Solana that are just, they're just more scalable than Ethereum. So the comp is not like Bitcoin or, uh, or, or you know, Solana. It's, it's Ethereum or Solana, right? Um, and we've seen this play out. Now, it's much more centralized or like some of the, some of the infrastructure is much more centralized as a trade-off there. Mm-hmm. And we can argue if that's, you know, good or bad, but uh, the protocol itself has product market fit because it has absorbed a ton of throughput and and some of the use cases uh, that traditionally went over Ethereum Rails. Like there are just more developers that are, are are building decentralized applications there. Again, you might argue this is just like turtles all the way down, and there's nothing there for for like these applications. That's a valid criticism, but my point is. If you think this is all moon fumes, they've got product market fit on the moon fumes that a lot of other people believe in right now, um, and it works. So uh, we can talk about like what the uh, I feel like a lot of the debates and a lot of the talking past each other comes down to like what is value, and 
I don't think that this should be valuable. This looks like a multi-level marketing scheme versus like the thing that I own, which is technically superior and, and beautiful and world-changing and, and, you know, democratic and, and all these other things. Um, uh, Bology got me onto this, um, this concept, you know, uh, Russell Conjugation. No, tell so me. basically, I'm surprised you didn't tell me as well. Yeah, so uh, I think you know, I, and I was just listening to him on Ferris, so I'll just kind of use use the exact same example. But like, uh, I sweat, you perspire, she glows, right? Same exact thing that's being you know conjugated in a different way, depending on your perspective and your audience, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I think the other one he used was something like, uh, you know, he leaks. You know the the New York Times investigates, or you know something like that. But but you could say the same thing with like any of these cryptos, right? Um, I, I'll try to come up with one on the spot for like you know Bitcoin. I, I'm, I'm not even going to try, but you, yeah, you no, right? I, like, I see what you're saying. You know, Bitcoin uh, store of value, uh, or Bitcoin is disinflationary. Uh, Ethereum is uh, a rentier class because of this proof of stake switch where all the rewards are just going back. You know, like it's it's that same the, the same general like construct are being used as a criticism or a feature uh, and, and something to be, you know, lauded depending on who the audience is and, and you know, what your current holdings are, quite frankly. Um, and I think that's true with, uh, with some of these other, like, layer one chains and some of these other applications. But we're going back to, like, you know, that was kind of a roundabout way to answer, like, that specific example about Solana. I think um, the other thing uh, that I disagree with you on not for the reason that you might expect, but I, I disagree with you on the whole concept of public companies needing product market fit. I think that's actually an indictment of the SEC and the U.S. markets. Okay. Because companies used to go public a lot sooner until Sarbanes-Oxley and until you know a lot of the things that made it very hostile and cumbersome for companies to go public kept them private longer. And then the private markets responded to that dynamic because VCs could capture so much more of the upside. So their funds got bigger and the rewards were sweet. So, you know, you combine that with the fact that you had a a half dozen now trillion dollar tech companies that would ultimately acquire many of these top performers. And you had kind of a perfect storm to keep almost all of those gains privatized. Um, Should Uber have gone public at 40 billion or four or one, right? Fair. Right. And so- um, I think crypto is is probably the extreme in the other direction that we have to be careful about um, because should something go public at like zero dollars and then have this like immaculate conception that in reality like all the insiders knew about or got tipped off to so that they were like the first to deploy for, for a transaction. Um, my point is I think there are shades of gray, but I do believe that the market is going to ultimately win out in the end. And you'll have mechanisms where you can actually measure someone's like bona fide contributions to an ecosystem or meritocratically distribute rewards into these mutual models that, you know, people will flow to the the chains that are the most other things equal again, will flow to the chains that are are otherwise fairest to the users that have been contributing value. Otherwise um, you just have this dead weight issue. Emmy Ryan, this is a Bitcoin show and you're uh, turning me into a shitcoiner. What's the next protocol I can buy at fifteen million that's gonna I'm only kidding. Um, okay, let's flip back a bit. Let's oh go man, back I'm to, disappointed. I had, no, like five, I had five because I know your audience. No, is like j- j- form. but like I said, I just my point is really is that I just I, I just I want to like imagine like some of your audience right now. Like, why the fuck is you have this guy on? I thought this was a Bitcoin podcast. <laughs> Get back to the Bitcoin stuff. We'll do it. I wrote a good chapter on Bitcoin. Come on, bring well, me no, back. we will. But that, like, I just want to like round my point. It's just saying this. Like, look, 
it's going to happen. I get it's happening anyway. I just feel <laughs> like where are the conversations of Web3 which aren't talking about cryptocurrencies or tokens or NFTs because there's a lot of stuff that people need as users on the internet. There's a lot of things that the experience that people need. They need control of their data. They need better privacy. You know. Well, here, here's the thing. So I think NFTs are a primitive that enables a lot of that. Just, just for instance, right? So, you know, my my definition of Web three was basically like this is a catch all term that includes cryptocurrencies, right? That's the the native currency. It includes the layer ones. These are the kind of ledgers of record and the the contractual like enforcement systems. It includes NFTs, which are like the discrete digital goods that you might use purely online, right? Um, and that also could be the building block for your reputation. That's what I want to come back to. And then, you know, DeFi basically makes that a liquid economy because you need a liquid economy to be able to just run anything like the metaverse. And I do think more of our lives are going to be, you know, kind of run online. So um, let's come back to NFTs, right? So there's like digital art, there's p- like profile pictures, or there, there's these things like 95% are, of are gonna, uh, they're going to go to zero. Mm-hmm. I actually think you can think about the NFT market kind of like digital art. Digital art, right now is about one one thousandth of actual art. In 2013, Bitcoin in its blow off top was about one one thousandth of gold. Okay. All right. So right now, Bitcoin's about a 10th of gold. If digital art follows the same path that uh, digital gold did, then we've got a hundred X from here, but that's a hundred X in market cap, not a hundred X in like projects across the board. So yes, 95, 99% of these things are going to crash, going to end in tears. People are going to be very sad. They're going to have a very overpriced JPEG, but let's talk, let's talk about like the things that stay. All right. You still got you know, pretty significant upside and this is a class and it could open up new cases for Hollywood or wherever, but I'm, I'm actually much more interested in NFTs because, you know, you talk about protecting your own data or like packeting your own data and, um, and like, those being the Web3 use cases that you're actually interested in. I think that, um, I mean, NFTs are just a wrapper for any data. Where that data points doesn't really matter. It could be a profile picture. It, it could be your data record on Facebook so that you can port it into a new front-end uh, application that is not run by Mark Zuckerberg, right? Same exact front-end maybe, different algorithms. So, you know, you can customize whatever you want to see. And you'll basically permission access to your data record that way. That's still an NFT. The thing is, you're going to need, I think, use cases and toys that people speculate on that help pave the way for all that infrastructure before that infrastructure actually becomes useful. Another good example would be um, NFTs is a building block for like digital reputation or digital credentials. You think about a, a college degree. Did you remember like the whole like token curated registry thing like back in the yeah. day? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So basically like TCRs were like, you could have a list of things and if you post a bounty and the community accepts you, you can basically get onto this list. So it was like, you know, it was a way, could we whitelist like ad-free domains or could we white, you know, basically Mm -hmm. like hypothetically anything, or could we create like a rank list of like influencers or, you know, kind of create like a club vibe. Um, That V1 was garbage. And I think DAOs as like kind of communities, um, like that infrastructure kind of took back over and I think it's more interesting for, for some of the early TCR use cases. But when you talk about credentials, um, a TCR could basically be like uh, a token curator registry could be, you know, managing diplomas, right? Do you have a diploma from like X internet university? Cause we all agree that like college is overpriced and this will be a replacement that will like follow you anywhere and, and show that you have these minimum requirements. Well, what NFTs allow you to do is they could basically give you a badge, not only for every course that you passed, 
but for every test that you took, for every question that you took to basically just like complete the binary, right? And then depending on your performance on any of those tests, maybe you have an NFT that has like rarer attributes than the other like 10,000 people in the class because you were in the top 1% or you were very top of the class. So you basically bundle all these together and then you kind of extrapolate that to your work, to your, you know, to your kind of social score, like basically whatever you want to be able to permission out, you could do. And I, I would argue that because you can do that in a way that is like completely owned and within your control or like managing your own wallet, it's transformative in a good way, not in like the black mirror, you know, uh, we're tracking your every move and we're like deducting and adding credits to your social system. Um, and like that Uber uh, episode, you know, which one I'm talking about, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's a way to um, kind of selectively permission access to your reputation in your data using some of these uh, primitives that today look like toys and look like garbage and you probably hate, but I think are necessary for the, the Web3 that we actually probably agree that we want to see. What do you think, Jeremy? You're convinced you want some NFTs now? I want some DIDs. <laughs> you know, the interesting thing on NFTs is that they... I, have, I think there's similarities, right? I, I just I just registered TBI.eth. They, well, the, the NFTs so, have chipped in a little... That into, is an identity. ...into the Bitcoin crowd. There are Bitcoiners who are like, fuck Ethereum, fuck so on. But they're like, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm okay with NFTs. And we have NFTs on Bitcoin as well. I heard Samson Mao talking about using NFTs to, to issue concert tickets. Easy way you, you can have it as a concert ticket or a cinema ticket, and you can just use that as your access. Yeah, as long as go. it's on liquid, it's fine, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Those listening, like a little wink there. No, no. Look, I, look. I, I empathize. I empathize your point. And goes back. We just did a just an interview before this with Lane Rettick, uh, talking about proof of work versus proof of stake. And one of the things I was saying is that you know, one of the big issues is that actually, I think the Bitcoiners have tried to do this: this uh, Bitcoin not blockchain, Bitcoin not crypto, separate Bitcoin out. Mm-hmm. But I think it needs separating separating out for both communities in some way because if you just ignore the the ultrasound money crowd who I think are fundamentally wrong and dishonest, we're actually, it's just two different things. My, my metaphor for uh, Lane was, you know, you need wheels for an airplane and you need wheels for a car, but they're doing f- two fundamentally different things. Yeah. One, you know, one is taking you across the ocean and one is like driving you down the road, but you consider them the same because, you know, people might consider them the same because they both have wheels. But mm-hmm. They're fundamentally different things. And like Bitcoin separation of money and state, cryptos for me is just kind of like, a new type of company mm-hmm. creating kind of permissionless things to make the internet a bit better. I don't have a need for them and I don't really use them. Not to say that I wouldn't in the future if like I did have that need, but I think that it's even more important now to separate what these things are because otherwise it's, it's, it feels like a lot of the fight is pointless. Yeah. I mean, I, I so I completely agree. I think the, you know, the end all be all um, fight is for Bitcoin to maintain its, status as like sovereign resistant money. Yep. And and secure store value settlement, right? Let, let's 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 throw out like current I, I almost don't like talking about its currency. It's too volatile. Like stable coins are a better product right now. Uh-huh. But secure sovereign store value for like if shit hits the fan, you know, or you start to see currency failures, then yes, like the bet is still on Bitcoin. That that's that's where all the action is. That's where it's going to be for for quite a long time. Well, I agree with you. Like if you're in Turkey right now, you probably want Bitcoin and stable coins. Mm-hmm. You want to put your savings into Bitcoin. Exactly. Yep. And you want to hold a certain amount in like dollar stable coins to protect yourself against the collapse of the lira. And and the thing is, we knew this was coming. I mean, yeah, you know, I've been talking about this for years. I know you have as well. Uh, 
we're just now starting to see it actually become relevant in the U.S. because we got six percent inflation, dude. Yeah, you know, but and the rest. This this has been the case in Argentina for years and different African countries for years, right? So, you know, a lot of us when we talk about Bitcoin, we'd say, look, it's it's schmuck insurance or it's it's a a, a digital gold, you know, uh, analog or replacement. But because it, it can also be used as money, yes, it's very val- uh, volatile, but it also has upward volatility, not just like a persistent uh, kind of depreciation of value over time like you do in some of these other currencies you're going to hold your assets in. You know, so like Venezuela and, and Argentina, you know, and, and, and some of the African countries being the big ones. But um, you knew that they were going to be some of the early adopters and people there would, would actually use it to s- help maintain their own safety, right? And um, I think Tether has taken a little bit of that use case from Bitcoin for a lot of the same reasons. And now, you know, uh, so I I think that there's some truth to that. If you're in Turkey, would you rather have Tether or would you rather have Bitcoin? Well, you need to live. So it depends. It depends. What it's, yeah, it depends on your, but my, your but net my, wealth but, as well. But my point is, if your economy is going to be like you know black market dollarized anyway, yeah, then Tether is probably better than Bitcoin. Even right, it's it's still a crypto asset. Of course, using yeah. crypto rails, but you know you're you're at least um, you're admitting defeat with your with your own currency. But you're saying we're still going to have a black market. You know where dollars are good. Like dollars will will always be good until you, we ruin them. So do you think in some ways? It would benefit some of crypto to become quite highly regulated. And bear with me as I explain this, in that we stop having this argument about because it's really, you know, it's an argument about decentralization. It's like, mm-hmm. well, Bitcoin's maximally decentralized, it's directionally decentralized, which is what I say. These other things are not really decentralized. It's decentralization as a spectrum, but they aren't really like is it is it more important that these things are permissionless than decentralized? Uh, much more. Yeah. yeah. Where So we could create that separation whereby, look, there is this whole decentralized... I think it's important socially for them to be decentralized because you are more likely to trust that one of these systems is permissionless if it is decentralized. Fine, right? but, but... But really it's per, like... Decentralization is an input to get to permissionlessness. Yeah, but resistance to state attack, I think mm-hmm. most people agree probably Bitcoin is the only one like is truly resistance to state attack. Like always... Is best the, the, equipped. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, we're not going to know. Yeah, <laughs> like we, we're 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 not going to know until we actually see both yeah. um, a crackdown on you know individual holders and mining. Because I could also argue the other direction um, with you know, seeing how effective the Chinese crackdown on Bitcoin mining was. Right. I don't think other states are as competent as the CCP, um, but they show that it's possible, right? They, they could basically evict hash power from their country. And, uh, and that chart in your report, wild, fucking insane. Yeah. So, so explain th- it. So the people listening, yeah. Listening. So, um, basically it's, uh, it's a couple of visuals from the Cambridge, um, it's Cambridge study. If you just yeah, like look up like Cambridge Bitcoin mining study or whatever, it's, it's, it, it just came out, um, comes out every few months and, and, you know, they've had updates the last couple of quarters, that show um, hashing power. Again, this is an approximation because um, not 100% of, of you know, hashing power came out of China. But basically, um, they rely on like pool information for the source of hashing power. And China went from 60% to zero, essentially, in, in, in two quarters or one quarter, I mean, after, after the, the Chinese ban. So there's, 
Um, I'm sure it's probably low, it's probably like high single digits, low double digits is still in China. Um, but it's just uh, for many, for obvious reasons not being reported. Regardless, that's a, a 50% change, 50 point change in, in market share that's just been distributed to mostly to the benefit of the U.S. Um, and the difference between the U.S. and China is if the federal government tried to ban Bitcoin mining, you have a real problem in Texas. Mm-hmm. Like Ted Cruz now, you know, wants to make this, all, you know, almost like a, a pillar of his next presidential run. Yeah, Governor Abbott as well. Uh, yeah, so you already have a state like Texas, which is arguably the most likely to secede or, or to really challenge the federal government on things like this. It could have its own standing army. Um, it has, you know, its own uh, energy, and, and now it's got, you know, a, a foothold with with Bitcoin. Um, I think it's going to be much harder to replicate that in the U.S., and that's just one example, right? So, like, is the EU going to be able to do that? No, right? There, there will be certain countries within the EU that say, fuck off. No. Yeah. You know, like, we have clean, renewable energy sources that are, are powering Bitcoin mining, and uh, we have no other way to, to use it up here. It's very cold, and... Uh, and so we're, we're going to basically use this money battery because we can, um, we can exploit renewable resources and, uh, and make money from it just like any other industry. So don't tell us, you know, like that's, that's not going to get banned in, in, in Europe, for instance. Well, B- Bitcoin's ability to help stabilize the grid or make it more efficient and essentially m- – I'm not. I'm not completely on this Bitcoin as digital energy thing, but you know, as a way. I wasn't. I wasn't either. So this is what's super interesting about doing this report. Like Nick Carter had a great piece in CoinDesk on this. Yeah. And and Lynn wrote about it too. I know you're you're a fan of Lynn. Um, I've kind of come full circle on that because I thought you you your point about like Chris and like Web three being self serving. I thought that was like just total bullshit propaganda from like the Bitcoin crowd um, of like no, this could actually be a good thing for energy. It's like come on, man. Not, not like yes. I know we have to say this so that we don't get lit up by the uh, the folks from Greenpeace, but not really. Come on, like wink, wink, wink. Uh, if you look at the numbers though, and you look at a lot of the arguments and the trend, especially with China off the grid now, I'm a buyer. Well, no, so look, I buy it in the concept. If you, but I think you, if you say Bitcoin is digital energy, you have to say all money is energy. Mm-hmm. And then how do you get to that point? Well, yeah. To create, you know, outside of the government, to create money, you usually have to, you know, exert some form of energy, whether it's yourself or a business, you have to do that. And therefore, you create this financial product, the outs, uh, the output, which you then can use to buy more stuff, which uses energy. So it's like, if you consider, like, all money is energy, I agree that Bitcoin is digital energy and it's the most efficient form of monetary energy. But I think you have to say all money is energy. Otherwise, what happens when I sell that Bitcoin? for my, Like, that's the only way I can buy into that concept. But... Either way, the idea that you can, one part of the world, use excess energy and create this pristine asset that you can move to another part of the world to use to buy energy, uh, to me, it's just an amazing, it's just an amazing thing. But this Bitcoin's ability to stabilize or make the grid more efficient feels like something that's really, only in the last 12 months, become a real major talking point. And it's actually a great talking point. And, and it feels like it's almost come off the back of the ESG Movement. Yeah, that, that's that's why I think um, even folks that are naturally inclined to support it, right? Like me and you, and and I think you know Nick and, and Lynn and, and others are in the same uh, kind of camp. Like I, I think our bullshit detector 
is already very finely tuned. So mm-hmm. we hear something like this, we're like, oh, this is very conveniently timed. That we're, yeah. we're you know, now everybody's kind of flipping, flipping the script. And um, you know, I'd actually written about uh, some of these operations, like Crusoe Energy, and and you know, uh, some of the operations in Texas. You know, about two years ago in my report, uh, into your report. Um, so we kind of knew that this was something that um, was happening. I think the switch was not. ESG though, I think it was China because I don't think it mattered. Like all these like renewable discussions and actually, you know, cryptos, it, it, you know, Bitcoin mining is not that bad. It didn't really matter as long as 80% was, you know, being mined with coal during the dry season in, in Sichuan, right? So like it, it kind of fell flat because the US just had like such a, and Europe just had such a small market share. I think with that change in the, uh, dynamic of Bitcoin mining, now it's actually relevant because now you can actually talk about the entire market is X percent renewable or X percent clean or like, let's get very like finally, you know, um, let's split this into a finer pie chart so we can see how much is running with purely re- renewable energy, how much is basically in trapped uh, off-grid energy sources that's otherwise going to be wasted. How much of this is like recycled and um, from from uh, flaring, so that we're releasing like CO two instead of methane? You know, now all of a sudden this is actually meaningful. And I think this is you know one of the things that I've come around to that um, this matters now. A because more people are starting to use it as an attack line, but B. It just so happened they shut off China, and so now we can we actually have like a credible like counter argument. Mm. If China comes back online and like unbans Bitcoin, and then we start seeing you know all the coal powered uh, mining just come back in full force, then then that's a different story. But I, wow. I, I don't know. I I think there's something here, and the fact that you have politicians that are starting to actually talk about it, getting uh, educated on it, I think is uh, uh, it's 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 across the chasm moment. We'll see if it actually sticks. Well, I was going to say the other part, which I think is a missed opportunity, Dan Moorhead didn't miss it, is the fact that everyone's focused on the E, but Bitcoin is so good for SNG anyway. Mm-hmm. We've missed that opportunity to come back and say, well, hold on a second. Let's have a net conversation about ESG. Yep. You know, okay, firstly, we have great arguments for the E. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not perfect. And it'd be great if all of Bitcoin was 100% renewable, but that's fine. We are stabilizing the grids. We are making the grids more efficient as well. We are able to move this digital energy around the world, and we are trending towards more renewal. But mm-hmm. let's talk about social and governance. Let's talk about what Bitcoin does. But you didn't miss it. But did did you inter, did you did you put it in the report because you you'd read the Dan Moorhead piece? Had you read his piece? I don't think so. Oh, I should forward it to you. It's yeah. really good. Great minds. Yeah. <laughs> no, I uh, I I had read a, a you know. I, I think that is a meme, like, you know, uh, we're not that bad on the E and we're really good in the S and G. Mm-hmm. I've probably heard from a you know, half dozen folks like, uh, you know, Alex from Human Rights Foundation, I, I feel like has, has said things along those lines. There's there's a number of other folks. Um, I don't recall seeing Dan's piece in particular. I probably yeah. have read it at some point. Wouldn't surprise me. So if I if I plagiarize it, just do a control, <laughs> uh, control F, like put it through your plagiarism machine and that can be like the headline I for this. I trust you. We, t- we, we, we talk about like uh, TBI's uh, Dan Moorhead plagiarism. We've guilty given, as charged. We've given I, actually had a dis- I actually had a disclaimer in my intro. I was like, yeah. this 165 pages I wrote in a, in a month, I borrow from a lot of other really smart people. So if anything's plagiarized, a, tell me and I'll fix it. B, go fuck yourself. Because <laughs> Dude, my, my whole career is built of uh, other people's uh, yeah. smart uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. takes and observations. Exactly. So I'm with you. But uh, yeah, I do feel like the SNG, we, uh, 
Someone needs to go out there and really attack that publicly and say, hold on a second, especially well, because we have Republican, we have Republicans think, very interested I, in Bitcoin, but the Democrats will love the S&G side. I think the problem is no one really thinks about S&G as a positive because it's an indictment of their failed leadership. Yeah, fair. fair. So, uh, you know, if it, it, we can't really talk about the S&G. Like, all we can they do would is really Bitcoin like, was negative. Perry, Perry, you know, minimize the E damage and say, you know, this isn't that bad for the environment. But it, as soon as you start getting into social, now you're opening up a whole can of worms. Yeah, yeah. And, and you will never be right if you're on the long, like no fact will ever get you on the right side of the woke narrative if you're on the wrong side of it, right? There's right. no data that will get you uh, out of trouble if you are on the woke side of the of, uh, wrong side of the woke agenda. And um, when it comes to governance, you know, you're talking about removing the country's ability to print money at will and having a check on its, you know, ability to print money at will in perpetuity because that is what Bitcoin is and is how it was born. So that like, you can't really go into DC and be like, yeah, this is great for E. It, you know, it's, it's fine for E. It's it's good for S, for fact-based people because we don't live in a fact-based society. And then it's good for G because we strip people like you of this like money printing authority. And like everybody would agree that's a good thing, right, Congressman? You know, so yeah. it's, yeah. I think we could talk about it and 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 I think we have to win this like, in the court of public opinion, not necessarily the actual courts, because we'll lose there. Let's go back to flippinings because we mentioned Bitcoin flipping and gold earlier. You, uh, you and your port talking about, uh, I've got to hear the king, we'll stay the king, no flippinings. I got a text the other day from uh, a very known, well-known crypto trader, Twitter personality told me the, uh, the Bitcoin flipping is coming. And I hadn't even looked at the market cap of mm -hmm. Ethereum. Um, and it depends what the, what you consider the flipping to be, whether you, do it in Bitcoin terms or Ethereum or dollar terms, but really, I think if it is a dollar flipping, people will call it a flipping. Uh, you don't think it will happen? I twenty percent chance you said. Yeah, I, I go back and forth. I think. Does it matter? Uh, well, it definitely matters for Bitcoin holders. I mean, I I, I think um, it's uncharted territory, right? Um, like you know, as, as soon as you as soon as you dethrone Bitcoin. Um, I think you lose one of its narrative elements that it's like the bellwether for the entire asset class. And if Bitcoin is going to be, you know, sovereign resistant, like censorship resistant money or digital gold, I think it's important that it maintains its its top spot. So one flipping that I think do, could happen and it's already happened, arguably, right? Like Bitcoin dominance is below fifty percent. It's it's happened multiple times in history, yeah. right? So um, we've already seen Bitcoin become a plurality. But, but that's a weird figure because why? You know, well, because if it was just versus Ethereum, it's just a race between two. If it's mm -hmm. versus the whole crypto market, every year a load more tokens, projects come out that eat, can eat yeah. away that market share. So it's it's a weird comparison. I always felt like the yeah. dominance, like if the dominance was based on the top ten. And those top 10 never changed. Then fair, let's see what's happening. But there's so much money and things going into everything else. So it was always a weird number. Yeah, I mean, Bitcoin does not look strong right now from a trading perspective. Nope. I mean, the, the, the question Which is- Which is always a good time to buy. Uh, that's, I think that's my, you know, my, my midwit answer. Uh, either my 70 IQ or midwit answer, we're not going to know. Like if there's a flippening, then it was a midwit answer. If, if, if Bitcoin rallies from here, then it was a, a, yeah. a good 70 IQ move. But uh, 
so that 20% figure is way down or way up rather. Um, cause I, if you'd asked me a year ago, I would have said not a chance because I, I, I still think that Bitcoin is bellwether and, and the money flows through Bitcoin first and foremost, when it comes to like the bigger investors, I'm not entirely convinced that's true. And I think it's been, you know, death by a thousand cuts to a certain extent, but you know, Ethereum has many other competitors. Bitcoin really only has Ethereum as a competitor. It has no other real monetary competitors. Hmm. Whereas Ethereum has I'm gonna slightly disagree 20 other layer ones. All right. Uh, I was competing with Bitcoin. Th- there's well, there's Doge? use th- no, there's use case competitors, which I agree with you on. But really, we're not always talking about use case competition here right now because we're still in a speculative phase. We could be mm-hmm. you know, way for, for you know, many years during the speculative phase. It's really your competitors anywhere else you want to put your money. Your competitors are stocks and gold, for example. But but really, we're talking about the crypto space. People coming in, they can go on any exchange. They can buy Bitcoin. They can buy Ethereum. They can buy fucking Shibu Inu. They can buy... Solano, they can buy anything. So I think I think its competitors are, if you're a speculator, its competitors are everything else on an exchange you can buy. And I think that's that's where I would say it is. You, under, you understand the difference I'm yeah, pointing no, I, to? Yeah, I, no, I do. Um, and your market cap comes from the money that goes in. I mean, if, if that's your definition, then... Uh, then the odds are stacked even worse against Bitcoin. Right? I think so. I, that's yeah. why I think so. I mean, yeah. at least previously, before you had to buy Bitcoin to trade other shitcoins, that, that gave it a bit of an advantage when a lot of the exchanges were... Yeah, and now yeah. arguably uh, Ether is more of a unit of account for some of the things that are happening or Solana yeah. or, you know. Um, now, the reason I said, um, you know, it was kind of a two-part thing. One, you know, we'll, we will eventually see like a Bitcoin, a digital gold flipping of gold. Yeah. Um, but... I think we're unlikely to see something where Ethereum flips Bitcoin. Um, And the reason is there's a lot of other Ethereum competitors, including the layer two blockchains that are going to be processing all these transactions that are going to absorb more of that volume going forward, right? So we already know that Ethereum as like a base layer chain is not going to process 100% of smart contract transactions. I mean, it never was, but now we know because even the community and even the developers are saying the way that we scale this is to have one beacon chain where transactions settle and like, you know, basically any high value settlement occurs. And then you delegate to other layer two chains, whether they're using kind of zero knowledge proofs or, you know, plasma or or optimistic rollups, or they're coming from like an entire, you know, different, um, blockchain entirely, different you know, structure. All of that is ultimately secured at the sub-chain level, and all of that is going to have its own economics. And that's what we've seen with you know Solana and Avalanche and Terra and Cosmos and, and, and all that this year. I think um, the question is, so I do think that you'll see that group of layer ones Right, the the Ethereum and friends will collectively overtake Bitcoin. I think that's basically a foregone conclusion at this point. Um, and I I wrote it in the report, but this is from Arthur Hayes from from Bitmax. I think he had the best framing of it, which is, do you think that M zero or big tech is going to be bigger in terms of market cap? Well, 
we already know that like Facebook, Amazon, Microsoft, Google, Apple are already bigger than M0 themselves. So I, I think that that is probably the right way to think about it. Um, the much bigger issue for Bitcoin is if it's not actually used, like wrapped Bitcoin needs to be ubiquitous across these different chains and it's not. That's one of the biggest issues that I think um, has to be solved for in the near term or my probabilities are, are probably going to flip. I'm not going to wrap any Bitcoin. Wasn't there a hack recently that involved wrapped Bitcoin? There's, there's hacks with everything. Yeah. It's early days. I would like to see more of those hacks because it means that the shit's actually getting <laughs> built. I don't want to see don't. more victims, but I want to see more hacks because it means that things are actually being built and stress tested and you're Ooh. fixing some of this stuff. I think that's a good post-rationalization for the hacks. Listen, look, one more thing to talk it's about. Not, uh, a little bit. Oh God, is no, it's not. Do you want to see more of your Bitcoin hack, Jeremy? Because that'll make it more secure. Don't bring me. He's not a risk. <laughs> he's not using a bridge. <laughs> Not, you know what? The guys that are using the bridge are taking the risk. They're going to make money on whatever the bridge protocol is because they're getting incentivized to do so. So they're on a risk-adjusted basis. They're, they know exactly what they're signing up for because it's early day, early days, early stages. If you guys want to sit in the corner and wait for the big boys to like figure everything out so that Bitcoin is actually useful. Bitcoin's already then, useful, man. <laughs> Bitcoin's already useful. Not, he, Jeremy's not going to do it because he's, he's a smart guy. Uh, okay, look, one more thing I want to talk about. I own about. a lot of Bitcoin. I think everybody knows probably that. probably got way show, more than but. me, dude. Um, one more thing I want to talk about, though. Uh, I, I will recommend people go and listen, read the report, uh, and I'll we'll put it in the show notes. Um, I, I did really enjoy the Bitcoin. I only read the Bitcoin section, but I, I did really enjoy it. I thought it was that's, brilliant. That's all I Especially the China, the Chinese bit. The China bit was brilliant, actually. And actually, the ESG bit was really good as well. But let's talk about ETFs. Because I know you care about this. Mm -hmm. I know you've been very critical of uh, the SEC. Mm -hmm. um, I don't understand how the SEC works. I'm not going to make, I'm not going to pretend I know any of this, but it feels like we are ready for an ETF. Other countries are getting ETFs. Canada has an ETF. It feels like we're ready. It's like, what, what is Gensler waiting for? He is waiting for complete control and surveillance of all of the US based crypto exchanges. Basically. They've got to register. It is hostage taking. Yep. He is a political animal. Yeah. He wants control. And ultimately, he wants to be able to either hang a couple scalps or, you know, notch a few wins uh, so he can burnish his resume for treasury secretary. Okay. This, this no, no, is 100% yeah, I mean, politics. Yeah. And Elizabeth Warren, who's a very powerful senator uh, on the Financial Services Committee, hates crypto. And so, um, you know, he's, I think, lockstep with her and, and currying favor. And, uh, and until somehow, whether it's through congressional authority or, or you know, some executive order, which would be, you know, the details of, of that would, would be muddy and, and would probably get challenged. But basically until he has some type of, I think, congressional authority to oversee U.S.-based crypto exchanges and some clarity on what constitutes like a new security under the token um, regime, uh, you're going to see just a bunch of stonewalling. He could get away with doing, um, with allowing the futures-based products because the CFTC regulates the futures. Um, no regulator in the U.S. has oversight of the spot market right now, which is what he's holding out for. So it's probably not going to happen for quite some time then. No. It's a real shame because... I mean, it, it, like I said, it's it's hostage taking. Yeah, like it, you know, to to call For one it anything, man's career. Yeah, to yeah to 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 call it anything else is dishonest. So, um, all right, fuck you, Gensler. Your words, not mine. I might get 
Will I get? Can I get in trouble for that? <laughs> I don't know. Should I? Should I not be? Should I get in trouble for that one? What? Can I, can I get a? Can I get my? Um, I get blocked for coming in the country or chucked out for saying that. Uh, no, I don't think so. All right, fuck you, Gensler. There you go. <laughs> I got a feeling he has Bitcoin anyway, but like, I mean, come on. Give us our spot ETF, come on. Okay. Well, he, he, here's the thing. Um, it's one thing for them to not approve a spot ETF. Or, sorry, a, an ETF, period. But the way that they went about this. So, so basically there are three different products that you get, four different products you'd have. You could have a foreign ETF, right? Which we have a bunch of now. You'd have a futures-based ETF, which comes with this five to 10% annual cost. And no institution is going to hold this because it's a complete piece of shit. Mm -hmm. You might hold it for hedging purposes or for kind of short-term, very short-term swings or positions, but you're not going to hold it because it's like a guaranteed loser long-term. Um, the third is the spot ETF. And then the fourth is this disaster that we have basically trading OTC, which is these um, quasi-ETFs like Grayscale's Trust, which came public through something called Rule 144. Essentially, it's a loophole that allows you to trade this like public trust, raise money from accredited investors, and then after a six-month or 12-month holding period, you can list them in the public markets. Right. OTC. We've now got a you know forty billion dollar trust in the Grayscale Trust and their Ethereum Trust and you know all these other ones that uh, trade in the open market and they trade at like fifteen percent, twenty percent discounts now. You can't in a in a real ETF, you would be able to redeem those shares yeah, for the for underlying. Bitcoin, yeah, they're locked, and so basically, uh, Barry Silbert is Gary Gensler's daddy. I was going to say like the reciprocal of that, what Gensler is in that situation. But um, yeah, essentially Grayscale wins. Uh, Gensler wins because he gets to take hostages and advance his political career and investors lose, which is why, you know, again, I, I try to pick my battles, but this guy, I think is, I, I just think he's a snake. Okay. Well, so. fuck you Gensler then. Let's stick with that. <laughs> All right, well, look, Wicked, um, I'm, we won't give away everything. There's a, a, we should get people to go and read the report and uh, read about everything else you put in there. But look, great to finally get you on. Tell them where to go and download the download the report. I'm going to get a load of shit, by the way, for the amount of shit coins we'll be in. You know, it, every once in a while, people got to open their minds, open, open their hearts, mind. and ex 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 accept, accept the shit. You know, this, a this meme itself. You know, you know what? If nothing else, this can be like a sign of like the shitcoin top. I don't think it is, but you can go and tell your listeners, I had them on in a moment of weakness because you know, we thought that the flipping was here. And then you can and then you can turn around in three months and, and do your victory lap. Like, I told right. you it was never going to happen. I had you on because you're my friend. No, and uh, you are a Bitcoiner. Long overdue. Long overdue. You are Long a Bitcoiner. Um, and I like talking about Bitcoin with you. We've just veered off into the shitcoin stuff, but whatever. Where can they get the report? Masari.io. It is all over the homepage. Uh, and uh, I am at 2BitIdiot on Twitter. We're at Masari Crypto. M-E-S-S-A-R- I crypto on Twitter or M-E-S-S-A-R-I.io for the report. Go straight to page 36. I think it's page 36, the Bitcoin section. That was, you, you would know. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you clearly looked it up. There's a table of contents. There's a table of contents. Read the intro as well. Listen, go and check it out. Thanks for coming on, Ryan. Thanks, Finally, man. take care. Good luck with everything. It was a pleasure. Thank you. 
All right, thanks for listening to What Bitcoin Did. If you want to get in touch, the best thing you can do is head over to my Telegram channel or you can hit me up on my email, which is hello at whatbitcoindid.com.